What's up, Betamaxers? Welcome to episode 36 of uh, Celluloid Fever Dreams, a weekly dive into, you know what, I'm not going to give you the, the uh, long thing, y'all know by now, basically I watch a movie I want to watch, and uh, then I come here and talk about it. And uh, from what I can tell from my research, I'm the only podcast in existence that talks about movies and is hosted by a uh, middle-aged, balding, white guy with a beard. So, you know, you got to listen to me, because who else are you going to listen to? Uh, I'm your host, as always, Wyndham Jennings. And uh, this week we're talking about uh, one of my favorite films, one of my very favorite films. Um, I'm honestly kind of surprised it took me this long to uh, talk about the film. Uh, you know, part of me almost kind of wishes I'd just sort of kick the podcast off with this film. Yeah, uh, much like the uh, Mark Duplass, Duplass, Mark Duplass uh, film, The One I Love, uh, which I talked about back in episode uh, eight. Um, yeah, this is one that I really enjoyed, and I'm really surprised I haven't uh, heard a lot of people talk about. Or, I don't know, maybe I'm just not listening to the right uh, podcasts. The uh, Family Fang premiered uh, September 14th, 2015, went into general release on May 6th. 2016 it currently sits uh, on letterboxd with a uh, 5.6 k 5600 uh, uh members having a log to seen the film it's uh based on the novel of the same name written by kevin wilson released in uh, august 2011 his debut novel uh i honestly i, I haven't read the book that the movie is based on uh i don't know i'm and one of these people I understand, uh, you know, when a story is adapted into a, another medium, you know, novel to, to a movie or TV show, etc., there are going to be changes that have to be made uh, because there are some things that work in one medium but don't in the other. And sometimes it works. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you it really it doesn't. Uh, this is one of the cases I can't really say uh, how close it is to the book because I hadn't read it yet. Uh, I have read... A Perfect Little Family, which is another book uh, by Kevin Wilson, and I really enjoyed it. I'd almost like to see that one adapted uh, into, honestly, that one I, th I think would work better as, as like a limited run TV series, uh, you know, something for HBO Max or uh, Netflix or Hulu. Uh, if you want to check that one out, I think, it, uh, like I said, it's, his stories, from what I can tell, seem to revolve around family and uh, the impact they have on our lives, and Perfect Little Family revolves around a research scientist who decides to test the meaning of family and the bonds of family. And so he puts together a commune with nine couples and one single mother who have either just given birth or are getting ready to give birth, and they're supposed to raise all their children together. And, uh, you know, basically it takes a village to raise a child sort of thing, and all the children would be, uh, for the first few years, would be raised together separate from their their uh, parents and wouldn't even be told who their parents were like everybody take rotations uh, taking care of each child and of course uh things start to go wrong almost immediately but you know if, if you're into sort of quirky uh kind of stories i can't recommend the book that book enough uh like i said i still haven't read the family fang part of me is a little nervous too because of how much i love the movie because uh, there have been instances of that where i've watched the movie enjoyed it and went to read the book and you know something about the book or or maybe some of the changes they'd made for the film sort of stuck with me 
and I couldn't find myself, you know, couldn't bring myself to uh, read the book and vice versa. You know, there's there's times that the book's a whole lot better. I'm, uh, I don't know, I'm not going to say the book's always better because there have been, like I said, there have been cases where that isn't the truth <laughs> for me. Uh, I was actually lucky enough to get to see this movie uh, in the theater. My wife and I were in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina on a, a date night. Uh, we'd dropped my daughter off with, I think, my parents for the night, and we're down there, and we'd had dinner, and and this was just sort of a last-minute choice. It was like, well, you know, while we're down here, there's a movie theater. Let's see what's getting ready to start. Uh, you know, we weren't really interested in waiting. It's a, you know an hour drive back from there to where we live. And, yeah, just looking through our phones and, and this one, I was like, you know, hey, it's, it's Nicole Kidman, it's Christopher Walken, it's Jason Bateman. Uh, you know, I read her little synopsis of it. It sounded interesting. So I was actually lucky enough to see this one uh, in a theater on the big screen. And, and yeah, I went in just not really, you know, like I said, I, I like, liked the actors involved. Uh, the story seemed interesting and just came out just absolutely in love with the film. The, uh, you know, we'll do the elevator, you know, we'll, we'll do the little pitch now. Uh, and like I said, I'm trying to avoid spoilers when I do these because I want you guys to go out and watch the movies. Uh, we'll do the two-second synopsis <clears throat> right now, and that is Stuff Happens. Uh, the longer synopsis, the uh, what I like to call the elevator pitch, is is uh, <clears throat> when their performance artist's parents turn up missing and presumed dead, Child A and Child B, uh, better known as adults Annie and Baxter, are left trying to put their lives back together, but also trying to figure out if their parents really are missing and or dead, or if this is just one final performance piece to cap their father's artistic legacy off. Uh, I couldn't really find a tagline for the film. There is a quote from it that I like uh, that's repeated several times throughout the film. Uh, and, and to me, I kind of I think I like that better than just a simple tagline. Uh, the quote is, Don't be afraid. Own the moment. If you're in control, then the chaos will happen around you and not to you. I like that. That's uh, I don't know, I like it. it. To me, it's just a good rule to uh, to live by when you find yourself in one of those situations. The film was written by David Lindsay Abair. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, other films he's done is done include the uh, 2015 version of Poltergeist, uh, Oz the Great and Powerful, which I actually like. My wife and I went and seen that at the theater. She loves Wizard of Oz, and and I really like the film as well. James Franco and uh, Michelle Williams. Oh, God, yeah, it was like him, Michelle Williams, uh, Rachel Weisz, uh, Mila Kunis. I'm to go back and watch that. Uh, the movie Rabbit Hole, uh, he wrote the movie Inkheart, and the animated film Robots. Uh, it was directed by Jason Bateman. This is his second feature film uh, that he has directed. Uh, I hadn't seen another feature film. I checked his IMDb page. So this is currently the latest feature film that he's directed the first one was uh, bad words which was uh him trying to win a children's spelling bee i believe uh tv shows though he's he's directed a ton of tv episodes including uh, ozark uh, arrested development the uh, hbo miniseries the outsider the uh, mary kate nashley tv show two of a kind uh, he's also a producer on the film alongside Nicole Kidman, uh, who has also produced the films uh, In the Cut, uh, Rabbit Hole, which, as I mentioned, was written by David Lindsay Abair, uh, Monte Carlo, the uh, Selena Gomez film, the TV shows, uh, the TV show Big Little Lies on HBO, and uh, The Undoing. 
Uh, now, the film's not told in a straightforward uh, fashion. It seems to bounce back and forth. Well, not seems to. The film does bounce back and forth in time. We start out in what to me looks like the 70s, uh, but it could be late 70s, early 80s. You know, that sort of transition period at the end and beginning of decades where it sort of bleed one bleeds over into the next. Uh, but we get to see the family when they were younger, when child a and child b were still children and they're helping their father pull off one of his performance pieces they are the family fang uh and then we shoot ahead to the modern day and we're sort of teased with the uh you know we see uh child b who now no child a who's uh, now called annie but she's watching some of the old performances and we see clippings talking about a murder and her parents disappearance uh, and that's the current storyline. And then, of course, it jumps back a month earlier, and we get to see how they got to that point. But intercut between these scenes where we see you know, them when they were a family unit and then as uh, kids, and the modern-day storyline where they're trying to deal with their parents as adults and then their parents uh, turn up missing, we're sort of intercut with uh, other pieces such as an art, you know, a couple of art critics discussing whether or not uh, what the family fang did was actually art, performance art, or you know whether it was just you know silly jokes and pranks, and other things, just very documentary style pieces. As I'll explain towards the end of the film, uh, that some of the pieces, some of those pieces are an actual documentary that uh, Annie and Baxter come across and start watching, trying to figure out, uh, you know, what's what's become of their parents and whether or not they could be capable of even pulling off a piece like this of faking their own death uh and i like that i like the fact that it does sort of jump around like just as you're getting uh i'm gonna say get it into but like just as they hit a certain like beat in one story they'll jump back and you'll see like another piece they performed when they were younger or uh you'll, you'll get a clip from somebody that's outside the family sort of talking about uh, you know what the family means or what their art is you know you get like i said the two art critics uh you get um uh caleb's old uh college professor who uh, got him into art and you know helped him become the artist that he is things like that uh, and i really like it especially because you really have to pay attention because there are things that are told in the flashbacks or things that let slip in the uh, little documentary sections that do pay off in the main story and i really enjoyed that uh, especially going back and watching it a second time because you know it was things that i kind of didn't catch the first time uh, i watched well i hadn't seen it in years uh to begin with but yeah going back and, and sort of and remembering what was coming up and and uh, what was going to happen and catching little things that i didn't the first time through it's definitely a, a film that if you watch it once deserves a second uh watch through to try to catch things like that or, or uh, sort of see some of the things they teased that pay off later in the story or tie together uh yeah i want to talk a little bit about performance art not a whole lot i could probably do an entire podcast on performance art uh the definition of it is uh, art created through actions executed by the artist or other participants uh it's different than performing arts in that a lot of times uh, performance art is unscripted or it doesn't follow uh, predetermined story beats. It may be improvisational. It may include uh, the audience. 
may include reactions from the audience. Uh, you know, the thing of it is, it, it's not something that's put on canvas. It's not a sculpture. It's not something physical. It's it's uh, the movement. It is the moment, and it is the emotions that are generated by the act and by the audience reaction. Uh, it's not a very old art style. The uh, first instances of it are uh, back in the early 20th century, uh, between 1910 and 1916. Uh, the term performance art actually wasn't wildly, wasn't wide, sorry, wildly, wasn't wildly used. Uh, it wasn't uh, widely used until uh, the late 60s, 70s. Uh, it arose around the same time as uh, Dadaism, so, you know, 1916, around in there, Futurism, uh, shares a lot of outlook with uh, Dadaism, you know, in that they're trying to deconstruct what uh, traditional art is and, uh, you know, just trying to, like I said, just sort of upend what most people consider art and, and make them think about what art is and, and uh, what movement and uh, sound and light and just the eph ephemeral uh, nature of life is. Uh, weirdly enough, performance art and performing arts can cross over in things like experimental theater, like the uh, Worcester Group. Uh, it was an experimental theater uh, company out of New York City. Willem Dafoe is actually one of the founding members of it. Or in uh, the case of, say, uh, like a more recent version of it where performing arts and performance art kind of blur together in, uh, in uh, 2013 when uh, Jay-Z lip-synced for six hours the song uh, Picasso Baby on repeat at the Pace Gallery in New York City. Uh, for a, a film that centers on performance art, uh, the idea of whether the fangs actually do create art or whether it is just pranks does become a key scene in the film as two art critics uh, debate this very thing. Uh, and it, I gotta admit, looking at the film now, uh, it's not really that hard to see uh, both sides of the argument. A lot of what uh, Caleb Fang does, and he gets the family to do, is really not a whole lot different than what you see in some in shows like Jackass, or in um, you know a lot of YouTube videos nowadays, or even TikTok videos. They're very elaborate and and a lot of times mean spirited uh, pranks, you know, for lack of a better terms. The the one that kicks off the film, he has spent three months working as a security guard in a bank, and he convinces Child B to go in and uh, rob the the bank of all the lollipops, the free lollipops the tellers give out. Uh, and then while he wrestles with him to get control of the gun, it goes off, and and uh, Camille and Child A. Or, uh, you know, Camille then lays down and pretends that he's been shot dead while Child A cries over top of her. And then, you know, once all that comes out, he reveals what it is and he's been filming it secretly and he wants everybody to wake up and just enjoy life, etc. And just about all of his performance pieces are like that. And that's what the two of them debate is, you know, is this really art? Is this really performance art? Or is this just... Uh, you know, one man getting art grants to perform what's really mean-spirited jokes. Uh, and the thing is, you know, especially, especially in a later scene where we're introduced to Hobart, who was uh, Caleb's teacher back when he was in college, and he's talking about, uh, you know, he's talking about a piece that Caleb did that really impressed him. 
and then they go to Caleb talks about it and they bring up an actual performance art piece that was done in 1971 by the artist Chris Burden who at a gallery allowed one of his assistants to shoot him with a firearm and the piece was called shoot and uh, you know Caleb explains that he was really impressed by the piece that it sort of it was shocking and the emotions it it uh, brought out in him and Hobart Hobart uh, just thinks that it's to quote him bullshit no horseshit sorry he calls it just plain out horseshit uh, because he says that art can't take place in a controlled setting and the you know of course the uh, gallery is a controlled setting and to show Hobart that he gets that lesson that he understands you know art needs to be spontaneous and needs to happen in the moment and it needs to be a little wild and uncontrolled uh caleb snipes him with a crossbow while he crosses the college campus <laughs> and hobart calls him one of the greatest pieces he had ever experienced in his life as they're carrying him off on a stretcher with a crossbow bolt sticking out of his shoulder and while all that seems ridiculous and you can sit there and think really is that art at the same time you have to look back on the origins of the show jackass is the reason i brought it up johnny knoxville first came to the attention of everyone by doing stunts very similar to this he allowed himself to be tased uh, he allowed himself to be shot with a gun and the tape circulated that's what kicked off that whole thing and on some level uh, is him doing that really any different than you know what uh let me look at the guys name. chris burden did in 1971 uh, is it any different than the uh, fake situation that they show in the film uh i don't know it, it surprisingly just watching the film and, and watching the people debate about it and sort of looking at the current culture uh, among youtube and and uh, other social media platforms and and some of the things people do it does sort of make you wonder just what is performance art in today's society or you know is what some of these people are doing could it be considered performance art uh, I, I think technically somebody might come back at me and say, well, no, because most performance art isn't recorded and uh, isn't, uh, you know, you know, isn't distributed uh, to make a profit or to make money off of. But I don't know. It, it's just something that sort of struck me uh, rewatching the movie in 2021 that just didn't really, I think, hit me as hard in uh, 2016 when I saw the film for the first time. Uh, let's get a little bit into the cast before I start talking a little bit more about the movie. I'm throwing character names around uh, like you guys know who I'm talking about. Uh, young Caleb is played by Jason Butler Harner. Uh, you may have seen him in things like Ozark, uh, Next, uh, Changeling, uh, the TV show This Is Us. Uh, and yeah, I really liked him and I, re yeah, I really did. I, I bought him as a young uh, Christopher Walken. Uh, even even knowing what Christopher Walken looked back looked like in the late seventies and eighties, you know, I, there was enough of a resemblance there. I, I bought into it, uh, and I liked the energy he had as young Caleb. You know, I really enjoyed those scenes. Of course, it doesn't hurt that uh, young Camille, uh, Caleb's wife, and is uh, played by Catherine Hahn, and I, you know she blew up last year thanks to uh, WandaVision, but she's been a scene stealer forever. You know, she's in Bad Moms. Uh, she was, you know, her, her very first film appearance was Flushed, but she's also been in Anchorman, Our Idiot Brother, The Dictator, uh, Where the Millers, 
uh, Bad Words with Jason Bateman, and she was the voice of Doc Ock uh, in Into the uh, in the Into the Spider Verse animated film. Uh, the children, uh, Young B, is played by Jack McCarthy, and this is his first role. And uh, he's only got a couple of other credits past it. So uh, his most recent was Viper Club, which is still several years old. Uh, young A is Mackenzie Brooks Smith, and we've talked about it before. She played the spoiled daughter in the film God Bless America, which we, we reviewed, uh, what was that, episode 25, I think, 26, something like that. Uh, her first film role was in National Treasure. She had a reoccurring role on uh, The Middle. Uh, she's most recent work is the film Phobias. Uh, I've already mentioned Nicole Kidman and Jason Bateman. They're grown A and B, or Annie and Baxter, as they insist on being called at, uh, as adults. Uh, I gotta say, this is probably one of my uh, top five Nicole Kidman roles ever. Uh, you know, in fact, I'm gonna say it's probably my second favorite role I've ever seen her in. Uh, number one's always going to be To Die For. I absolutely love her in that film. And uh, you know, as well as Practical Magic. Uh, do I really need to tell you who Nicole Kidman is at this point? Uh, but there's some of the films you can see her in. It's also things like Days of Thunder, Batman Forever. Uh, Baxter's Jason Bateman, who got to start on Little House on the Prairie way back in the day. And his uh, first feature film role was not Michael J- was playing not Michael J. Fox in Teen Wolf 2. Uh, he also was in Necessary Roughness, The Sweetest Thing, uh, Juno, Hancock, Horrible Bosses, Game Night, uh, the, t- the TV series The Outsiders, Ozark, uh, Zootopia. He did the voice of Nick. Uh, probably his, his most famous role was naturally uh, Pepper Brooks, who was the uh, color commentator on uh, ESPN Ocho in Dodgeball. R- role of a lifetime. How he didn't win an Oscar for it, I'll never know. Modern Camille is uh, Marianne Plunkett, who her first acting role well, uh, first acting role in a TV series or film was a Miami Vice episode in 1984. Uh, her first film appearance was Fools Rush In. Uh, you've seen her in other stuff like Squid and the Whale, uh, The Night Listener, Blue Valentine. She played Mrs. Rogers in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood opposite Tom Hanks. Uh, I really love uh, Marianne Plunkett's performance in this film. Uh, as Camille, it is so different than what Katherine Hahn is doing uh, as young Camille, because, you know, as young Camille and with the kids and with the family together, she is very much uh, feeding off of uh, Caleb's vibes, you know, going along with it, encouraging it, uh, you know, just really in the moment. Uh, and in the modern day, uh, Marianne Plunkett takes all that and turns into somebody that, you know, still loves the man, uh, still loves everything they did together, they have done together, loves her family, but is so burdened i don't say burdened so worn down uh by it all you know caleb is still as manic and and wanting to uh you know upset the status quo as ever and you can just see in in a marianne plunkett's performance of you know she's always going to support him she's always going to go along with him because she knows how important his art is to him but there's still a huge part of her that is just you know, wants it to end and wants it, you know, just wants to settle down and just be a normal person after all this time. And I just love that. I love the, the balance of that. I love, I love all the things that you tell from her that aren't in the dialogue. She's, she's probably my favorite performance in the film, actually. I really love Camille. I love Marianne Plunkett. 
Uh, I hadn't really seen her in a whole lot, but I do I do love her in this film. And I actually, I, I really like the dynamic between uh, Nicole Kidman and Jason Bateman in the film. Uh, and of course, with Chris, you know, opposite Christopher Walken, all three of them. And Christopher Walken is a legend for a reason. But, you know, I, I buy Jason Bateman and Nicole Kidman as Annie and Baxter. Uh, you know, I, I buy the, the fact that uh, they split on what's happened to their parents with, uh, you know, Baxter just accepting it as, you know, well, other people have disappeared along that road. There was blood in the car. Uh, you know, I really think they're dead. And Annie sort of kicking off the investigation of, no, you know, dad's crazy. It wouldn't be above dad to cut his wrists in order to leave blood. You know, he's probably sitting somewhere reading all the papers and stuff. And he gets to see what his legacy would be. You know, and to him, this would just be like the ultimate piece, faking his death, etc. You know, and the dynamic of them you know, trying to help each other through this, but also taking it in completely different ways. And there's just a great scene uh, between the two of them where, you know, Annie's talking about, oh, I've, I've uncovered this. We need to investigate this. We need to investigate that. And, and he just calls her on it. He's like, you know, what do you, what do you think's going to happen? He's like, you know, if, if it turns out that, you know, if it turns out they did do this and we confront them on it, he goes, what do you really think is going to happen? He says, you know, do you think dad's going to change? Do you think that we're going to be like a normal family and we just all hop in an RV and go to the Grand Canyon or something? He, he says, you know, because that's never going to happen. You know, and, and watching her reaction to it, watching, you know, the truth of that hit her, you know, and the way Nicole Kidman reacts to it and her firing back with, well, you know, you, you just want them to be dead. You know, how can you just sit there and just just think that they're dead and just be happy with that just to be so accepting of that and you know jason bateman uh responding to that with a line of because if they're not dead but they want us to think they are he says isn't that worse and what does that say about them and just that whole scene i'm not even doing it justice but just watching the between the two of them uh you know i'm, I'm not gonna i'm not the biggest nicole kidman fan <laughs> or Jason Bateman fan, but it it is a really beautiful scene, really well acted. It, it makes me wonder why Jason Bateman doesn't direct more movies. Uh, and it's also one of the reasons I'm a little scared to read the book, because I don't really know what they've changed. I don't know uh, if that would hit me the same way, uh, you know, reading it. And plus, I'm, I've got a bad habit of if I've seen the movie first, I want to cast the people in the movie, in the book, in my head as I'm reading. So, I, you know, sometimes that doesn't work as well uh oh i never been talking about it skip right over caleb is uh in modern day is played by christopher walken who again like uh you know nicole kidman do i really need to go through everything that christopher walken former lion tamer trained broadway dancer uh has done uh he's done a little everything he has been in you know just oscar-winning films just really serious roles really goofy roles uh he has done so many things his first i was actually surprised by this doing a little research his first tv his first role ever was on the tv show the wonderful john acton at 10 years old in 1953 and his first film role was in me and my brother in 1969 uh, but like i said he's been uh, in woody allen's annie hall uh, he is in the deer hunter one of the most intense movies i've ever seen in my life I'd uh, highly recommend uh, uh, you, you find it and, and uh, watch it. It is just amazing. Uh, he is a Bond villain, opposite Roger Moore in View to a Kill. 
uh, is in the uh, uh, Whitley Stri- uh, the movie based on Whitley Stryber's book uh, about alien abduction communion. Uh, he is a Batman villain. Batman Returns, opposite uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and and you know with Danny DeVito. A true romance, Pulp Fiction, Stepford Wives. Uh, he's just been in every- Scotland, PA. Oh my God! You guys want to talk about a, a movie? Uh, just like this one one i don't really hear anybody talking about but i absolutely love christopher walken in uh, scotland pa it's Macbeth, but it's retold through the late 70s uh retold in the late 70s uh through a man trying to get a manager's position at a fast food restaurant christopher walken plays mcduff in it uh christopher also has probably my favorite line i'm not gonna say it's a great movie uh, but Balls of Fury, just his introduction. If you don't know what Balls of Fury is, it's um, basically one of those martial arts death tournament movies, except instead of martial arts, uh, it's ping pong. And it's got people like Terry Crews in it and uh, Maggie Q. And uh, I cannot think of the... Who is the main guy? Hang on, hang on let, me, let me look that up real quick. Uh, all right. Uh, Dan Fogler. Dan Fogler. That's who was in it, but... But when we're introduced to Christopher Walken, who's playing the main bad guy in it, and just his delivery of the line uh, as he's kicking the tournament off where he says, ping pong, or as the Chinese say, ping pong, for some reason just cracks me up every time I hear it. I hadn't seen the movie in a while, but I'll sometimes just look that clip up. Uh, It's much like, my wife still laughs at me, uh, the Venture Brothers. If you guys hadn't seen it, it's, it's just been added to HBO Max. A cartoon, but there's a uh, opening of the show where two of the henchmen are doing the uh, you know the suit up sequence montage like they do in a lot of superhero movies, uh, getting back into their henchmen uniforms. And even though the background music's playing, they're also singing it themselves. And I've seen that scene a hundred, probably even a thousand times, and it still cracks me up every time. And this line from that film is one of those moments. But uh, but none of that is the family fang. We need to get back to talking about the family fang uh, as we're coming up to an end of this. And like I said, I really do like the movie. I really do like what Jason Bateman, uh, his direction on it. Um, I really love the characters. I think everyone was just wonderfully cast in it. Uh, even, even down to Hobart, who is the teacher. He's played by Harris uh, y- Yalen, Harris Yalen, Y-A-L-I-N. Uh, who, again, he's been acting forever, and he's one of those character actors. He's been in uh, Scarface, Ghostbusters 2, Training Day, Cutthroat Island. The minute you hear his voice, you'll know who you'll, you'll know him. He's one of those kind of people that you see him in everything, and it's like, isn't that that guy, or that, you know, isn't that that guy from, you know, that thing? Uh, yeah, wonderfully cast movie, and... I, yeah, I like it. I like the mystery at the end, at the uh, center of it. I like the way that, uh, like I, I like how Annie and Baxter uh, try to move on with their lives. Uh, you know, both of them trying to deal with their grief in its own way. The movie's funny. Uh, it's got some dark moments to it. Uh, got some, I'll admit, it's got a few sappy uh, moments to it. But it all feels well earned uh, and deserved. There doesn't seem to be any. You know any cheap moments? Doesn't seem to be any kind of tricks they pull to it, and and I honestly cannot recommend this movie enough. It is 
it is one of those films that I would take to a desert island with me. It's one of those films that I wish uh, I could forget everything about it and just watch it again for the first time. I cannot praise this movie enough, and I know there's probably somebody listening to this that thinks it's the worst movie ever made, uh, but you're wrong. I'm sorry. This is one film. I will die on this hill. You know, go uh, watch this film. You can stream it currently on Fubo uh, or the Roku channel, uh, FX Now, DirecTV. Uh, you can rent it through Amazon or Redbox currently. And I say currently, you know, as of August 2021, depending on uh, when you're listening to this. So uh, do, we, do we really need to put the... Yeah, you know what? We have to. It's tradition. So we're going to put this film up before the most important question of all time. The one we should ask of all forms of entertainment. And uh, that is basically, was it entertaining? Yes. Yes. If you get a chance, watch this film. Enjoy this film. Uh, Enjoy the quirky, dark uh, nature of the dysfunctional family. Uh, Some of the best performances of a ton of people's careers. Uh, Catherine Hahn, before she blew up just to see that she's always been that kind of wonderful and scene-stealing. Just a well-made movie from somebody that needs to direct more movies. Uh, You know, The Family Fang is a must-see in my book. So, let's see, what do we do next? Oh, right, the next episode of the uh, podcast. uh, I know I've done a couple of movies, 21st Century, and I I keep saying I want to try to spread them out a little more because there's films from just about every decade uh, that they've made movies that I want to, want to talk to you guys about, uh, ones that I like, ones that I just want to see and tell, talk about, ones that, uh, you know, not a lot of other, I haven't seen a lot of other podcasts talk about. Uh, but next week we're going with another one of my favorite films, uh, one I've you know watched a lot as a kid whenever I caught it on TV, rented it a few times, starring uh, Steve Martin. This is actually our second Steve Martin film. Uh, we already talked about Little Shop of Horrors a few episodes ago. But uh, this is our second one, and in my opinion, uh, one of his funniest ones, uh, one of his, I guess, underrated ones. Everybody talks about things like uh, L.A. Story, uh, Three Amigos, uh, Father of the Bride, things like that, or The Jerk. I almost forgot about The Jerk. Uh, another great classic film of his from, uh, what was it? Was that late 70s? Or was that was that actually in the 80s? Anyway, it doesn't matter. That's not the film we're talking about. The film that we're talking about is uh, Steve Martin and Kathleen Turner. It is The Man with Two Brains. And I am so excited because I actually found this film on DVD and bought it uh, just because I love the film that much. Hadn't seen it in years. So looking forward to watching this film and talking about it with you guys. Uh, you know, like I said, legendary comedian Steve Martin, uh, wonderful actress Kathleen. Whatever happened to Kathleen Turner? Did she retire? I've not seen her in something probably since the 90s. Or, or maybe I'm just not watching the right kinds of movies. Who knows? Uh, but as always, that's going to be it for this episode. We're going to wrap it up. Um I'd like to remind you, if you liked what you heard, tell a friend. If you didn't, tell an enemy. Uh, either way, go back to wherever you downloaded us from or wherever you're listening to us through and uh, leave a review. You know, Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Uh, go out and check these movies out. Uh, if you want to keep up with me outside of the podcast, I do have a Twitter. It's uh, C Fever Dreams, at C Fever Dreams. Uh, I have a TikTok as well. I don't really post a whole lot on it. 
haven't quite figured out what to do with it. Uh, my daughter informed me that I'm not a sexy woman and nobody wants to see me dance. So I have no reason to be on TikTok, apparently. And to be fair, not even she subscribes to me. So, uh, but that's Celluloid Fever Dreams. You can also find me on Instagram under uh, Celluloid Fever Dreams. We have just launched uh, in the past few days. I keep saying we. It's just me and a rabbit. Uh, and, and like I said, he likes watching the movies, but he refuses to get behind the mic and give his opinion on them. Uh, but over on uh, T Public, uh, we have, well, I have launched a, a merch store, uh, Celluloid Fever Dreams as well. Uh, I call it a merch store. Right now, at the time of recording this, we only have two designs uh, up for sale. Because right back when I launched this uh, podcast, my laptop died taking just about all of my art with it. Uh, and so I've been trying to get back in into it. Um, uh, recently brought, bought Procreate, trying to get used to that and some of the brushes on it. Uh, and get back into it. But uh, yeah, T-Public, Celluloid Fever Dreams... Uh, I don't have anything with our logo, with my logo on it yet. Uh, I'm not really sure I'm happy with my logo. Might be redesigning that. Might be doing a little bit of a redesign uh, for some things. Look of the Twitter page and whatnot. Maybe the new logo. Whatever. It it's it's not something I'm on a timeline for. You know, the store itself looks a little rough, but again, it's not something I'm on a timeline for. I, I'll get to it when I get to it. But yeah, go over, uh, check it out, uh, buy something. Uh, I really need a desk and a computer monitor. And, uh, you know, you can go to buy me a coffee at Sea Fever Dreams and if you just want to directly give me money. Uh, but honestly, I just prefer you guys get some, you know, cool merchandise. I mean, you can get stickers, uh, t shirts, uh, notebooks, just little things. Uh, none of the artwork I've uploaded is big enough to do a poster, according to them. So I'm having to resize and uh, work a little bigger. But, you know, if enough of you buy stickers, uh, I can quit using a 42-inch TV as a computer monitor and a broken-off uh, office chair as a desk. So, I won't quit rambling now. We're going to wrap this episode up. Hope all of you have a really good week until I see you again next week. Uh, remember, you can be a lot of things in life. Kind is one of the better ones to be. Uh, but until next time, go out, enjoy a good movie, go watch this one, go through... The old episodes, find another one that you might want to watch. But either way, uh, until next week, uh, this has been Celluloid Fever Dreams. I have been Wyndham Jennings. Uh, and as always, I've got a seat saved for you. Good night, everybody. <laughs>